1: The following podcast includes explicit language, including, well, you'll just have to wait and see.
0: Hi, I'm Josh Levine, Slate's national editor, and this is Hang Up and Listen for the week of June 27th, 2022. On this week's show, Olympic gold medal swimmer Chrissy Parham will join us to explain why she went public about having an abortion and what Roe v. Wade getting overturned means for women athletes. We'll also discuss America's favorite legacy athlete, Arch Manning, and his decision to play football at the University of Texas. And finally, we'll talk about Ohio State getting a trademark on the word, the. I'm in Washington, DC, and I'm the author of The Queen, and the host of the podcast, One Year. Those intonations mean those words belong to me in perpetuity. No backsies. Also in DC is Stefan Fatsis. He's the author of the books Word Freak, A Few Seconds of Panic, and Wild and Outside, and a graduate of The Place He Went to College. Hey, Stefan.
1: I'm going to claim, but filing my trademark application today.
0: <laughs> extremely, extremely valuable. One to year, two. Just one. Huh. All right. At least. Interesting. Good opportunity choice.
2: for the rest of us to get that uh, the second <laughs> T. one with two T's. Yeah. 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 Uh,
0: joining from California, it's Slate, staff writer, host of seasons three and six of Slow Burn, and the fastest 10 year old in America, Joel Anderson. Hey, Joel. Hey, good morning.
2: Uh, I see. I mean, I don't know. Since the patent and trademark office has just given it out, I'm, I should probably go ahead and get the petition in, for, but with two T's
1: <laughs> or fastest 10 year old <laughs> in America.
2: Yeah. Although, I mean, it would be. Almost as bad a claim as Ohio State's, but we'll see.
0: I've never heard you with this much uh, lack of self-confidence. It's jarring. Before we get into our first interview, um, because it's relevant, the final episode of Slow Burn Roe v. Wade was last week. You can listen to the whole season now. And it is extremely uh, appropriate and relevant. And I would suggest that you do so. On Friday, the Supreme Court released a ruling that was both expected and shocking. After 50 years, a block of conservative justices voted to overturn Roe v. Wade, which guaranteed generations of American women the constitutional right to an abortion. But now, trigger laws have made abortion illegal or heavily restricted in 11 states, while another 11 are likely to do the same very soon. Last year, before the court heard arguments in Dobbs v. Women's Health, more than 500 women athletes filed an amicus brief with the court in support of the constitutional right to abortion. Among them were soccer players Megan Rapino and Becky Sauerbrunn, WNBA stars Sue Bird, Diana Taurasi, and Laisha Clorinden. The lead story in that brief was that of Olympic gold medal swimmer Chrissy Parham. She joins us now. Chrissy, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, I appreciate it. We'll get to the court's decision last week shortly, but first I wanted to talk about your story. In 1990, you were a 19 year old swimmer at the University of Arizona. You were on birth control, but got pregnant anyway. What did you think when you found out you were pregnant and how did you decide how you wanted to proceed from there?
3: Well, first it was a surprise because I had been working to not get pregnant. Um, as, as a college athlete, that was definitely the last thing that I was hoping for. But I come from a family of very pragmatic people. They're teachers. They're, my mom was a science teacher. Um, very uh, open family when it came to talking about our bodies. So I was aware that abortion was an option for me. And I felt like that was the best choice for me at the time. I, I wasn't planning on being a mom. And I was in the middle of being a college athlete. So it was the best choice for me.
1: In an interview with ESPN, Chrissy, you defined yourself in terms of before and after the abortion. There was old Chrissy, and then there was new Chrissy, you said. How did having the ability to choose to have the abortion affect your athletic career? And was that what was sort of central uh, central part of your your decision?
3: Yeah, the... The thing about growing up, you know, we all have to make those growth steps. And some of it includes, you know, moving away from home, getting jobs, going to college. Some of it is circumstance. And for me, having myself, you know, in that position that I I absolutely was not prepared to be a mom was a defining moment you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. And I, you know, I I did feel like it was an epiphany of sorts. And the fact that I could choose to control my um, reproductive parts and have this um, surgery that is legal um, to make sure that I could get back on the right path and, and really, you know, reorganize my life. It made a huge difference in my life.
2: Chrissy, um, you know, as mentioned earlier in Josh's introduction, you know, athletes like Megan Rapino, uh, Sue Bird, Diana Trossi, and hundreds of other collegians in high school have signed a Samakus brief linking the progress in women's sports over the last 50 years to legalize abortion. And you've even mentioned that yourself. You know, you said, as an elite athlete, I know I have a finite length of time to pursue my dreams in my sport. All the decisions I've made, the sacrifices I've made, and the time I've spent mastering my craft have been in pursuit of excellence. Um, so... Can you talk a little bit about why the right to choose um, is especially important for female athletes?
3: So, just to kind of reiterate those points, um, and it's not just female athletes, but all of us, for the most part, uh, doing a sport, there is a small window of time where we are at our greatest. And if you want to be an Olympian and you want to be an Olympic swimmer, especially in 1992, that window was very small. And so you, the opportunity to make sure that I wasn't gonna have to pause my life, that I wasn't gonna have to maybe take a year off of college, have my body recover for a year. For women, it it stops everything and it doesn't stop everything for nine months. It stops everything maybe even for up to two years. It takes you nine months to create a human in your body and it really should take you about nine months to, you know, get back to, quote, normal, which that is a lifetime. Two years of being an elite athlete and not being at that level would be a lifetime. And the reason I think it's, you know, it is different for men because they're not carrying the baby in their body. It's not that they don't care. It's not that they're not involved, but their lives don't change as physically as a female's does. And so for those of us that get a college scholarship, want to play professional soccer, want to play professional basketball, go overseas and and do those kinds of things, that window is so small. And it just happens to align really, really well with, you know, the time that your body is ready to make babies too. You know, so so if we we have the opportunity for the health care that can ensure that that's not something that is going to inhibit us from, you know, getting a, a good job, getting to be this elite athlete and getting those experiences. And then when you're done, you have the opportunity to choose if you want to be a mom or not.
0: How much was this talked about among your fellow athletes, either in college or when you were training for the Olympics. Sonia Richards-Ross, who had an abortion uh, before the 2008 Olympics, she revealed that in an autobiography in 2017. She said, on the one hand, it's an issue that's not really talked about. On the other hand, she said, I literally don't know another female track athlete who hasn't had an abortion.
3: Yeah. It's something that uh, girls... Uh, young women, women are you know not you know, not just teenagers, but you know, twenty, thirty year old, forty year old people that are in the maternal age. This is absolutely something that we've discussed with our friends. Is it, you know, do we go to Starbucks and hang out and like we all discuss abortion like that? No, although overturning Roe v. Wade definitely would make it more of a a table discussion or you know <laughs> dinner table discussion. But I mean, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus because you know, but I did talk to my coach when this was coming out last summer. And, you know, he s- said he was sorry that he wasn't there for me. And I said, listen, I wasn't going to tell you because I, you know, it it was my, my own healthcare decision to make, but I wasn't the only one, you know, and I think it's shocking. It's not that he's disappointed in us or, oh, I'm so sad for you. Or, oh, I wish you would have, would have told me, like, this is just something that happens to women, even when we are trying very actively to be super smart with birth control. I was, I was engaged, I was in a monogamous relationship, you know, so this was definitely something that was a healthcare decision. And just like I didn't go clear, you know, when I was getting an appendectomy, I didn't clear it with anyone else. You know, I, I, I don't know if anybody, I mean, I know plenty of girls that have had breast augmentation. I don't know if anybody's going around going, hey, do you guys think I should do this? Like maybe we talk to our girlfriends about it and, it, and it's a discussion every now and then, but no one's asking for permission to make these legal health care choices for ourselves. So on one hand, I think it's a discussion that people have and we shouldn't be ashamed about having this discussion because it is just reproductive health care. On the other hand, People have made it be like it's, it's something dirty and it's, you know, oh, it's God's will. And why are we, you know, we have to excuse ourselves to make exceptions for incest or abortion or ectopic pregnancy. And we shouldn't have to. I, I shouldn't have to say, hey, I got my appendix taken out because it burst. Like, is this OK with everybody? I'm going to die. It's the same situation for an ectopic pregnancy. It will kill you. You know, and so if people, I think the thing about talking to my coach or talking to the other people around me, if we talk about it as a healthcare choice, and body autonomy, it takes away a little bit of the, the way that um, some people have spun it into being this dirty, shameful secret, you know.
1: I want to ask you a little bit about the effect that this is going to have on current college athletes. You went to Arizona. Arizona is a state that is banning abortions now. Students have to make decisions, and the NCAA will have to make decisions about where it hosts events, um, where it hosts championships, and elite athletes will have to make decisions about where they choose to go to school. If you were talking to an elite swimmer who's a junior in high school um, and trying to decide where to compete. Do you think this should be an issue in terms of that decision?
3: Um, I do think it should be an issue. When I was choosing college, I I knew I wanted to go to a school that had a really great basketball program. Um, I grew up in Iowa, and Lou Olson was the coach at Iowa, went to Arizona, and I was like, getting recruited by them? Heck yeah. And I'm hanging out in my bikini in February? Solid. So... You make choices on college, sometimes based on stuff like that. I also knew I wanted to be in a big conference. Um, I needed scholarship money. You know, th- the way you narrow things down, is this school going to check all the boxes? Do the programs work together? In, in the case of swimming, Arizona swimming, men and women train together. This is absolutely going to be considered for for some people in their future choices. Why would you want to go to a state that doesn't let you have body autonomy, especially being an athlete. We already talked about that small window. So I I think that, is it a deal breaker? I I don't know. For some people, it's going to be a deal breaker. For some people, maybe they'll be like, great, that's absolutely where I want to go. And that's great for them too. As far as the repercussions for having a championship there, I do think it's kind of ridiculous that We continue to have um, the College World Series, which I love to go. I've gone several times. I'm a huge uh, Arizona softball fan. Um, It's literally a sport for women. The whole week is surrounded about by supporting women in athletics. It's amazing. It It is a massive high for a week to be around so many amazing female athletes. And yet you're going to a state where I believe Oklahoma is a zero-exception state, which that means in their state, conceivably, a 10, 11, 12-year-old girl, and, and this is very graphic and I apologize, could be a victim of incest and be made to carry this baby as a 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old girl in their state. It's very twisted. The consequences of these choices of making women have fewer opportunities in the United States isn't going to be just for athletes. But I do think that there should be some discussion. Are we going to reward a state like Oklahoma, who basically marginalizes half of their population? And we're going to reward them by bringing thousands and thousands of female fans to to show off a bunch of female athletes. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see how that's going to work out in the long
1: run. Yeah, it's interesting. The New York Times did a piece from the College World Series. Billy Witts was the reporter, and he tried to ask all of the coaches um, about the state's anti-abortion laws, and almost all of them refused to talk about it. Oklahoma's coach basically sort of shied away completely from it. I don't feel equipped to answer that because it's never come across. I don't even know how I would go about it. Um, but you said this is huge for Oklahoma, and it is. It's like the NCAA Division I tournament generates about $20 million for the city's economy, according to some estimates. Um, you know, And the NCAA has moved other events out of North Carolina after, they, after the bathroom bills. The NBA took away the All-Star game. The NCAA pressured Mississippi lawmakers to, to, to get rid of Confederate imagery from its flag. So I think this is going to be... Um, another inflection point for the NCAA in terms of its uh, ability to lead um, and, and make these kinds of decisions on, on important social issues.
3: I don't fault the coaches for not wanting to speak about it in that moment. Um, I, I know that there are plenty of people that would uh, embrace that and, and be able to compartmentalize a discussion about reproductive health care and still be an athlete, or still be a coach, and and coach those girls up to, you know, reach the pinnacle of their sport. That's maybe hard timing for some of the coaches when they do have something else on their mind. And I don't fault people that are pro-choice and don't want to speak up, because it is very polarizing. And, um, you know, it, it is their livelihood. And their priority is you know, not only, you know, their job and taking care of themselves, but coaching up those girls as well. And you're going to have people on your team who just, you know, like any slice of life that are going to be, you know, pro-birth and there's going to be some that are pro-choice and you don't want to alienate anybody. So, so I understand how there is going to be this weird tension, for some of it, maybe a little bit removed. Maybe they go back and talk to the coaches, maybe a little bit removed from the tournament. Coaches will speak up um, and, and understand that this is something that will help all of their athletes. Body autonomy is something that we should be choosing for every human. It's a human right.
2: Chrissy, you mentioned that, you know, you understand why people don't want to talk about this, because I mean, it's going to be, you know, uh, you're going to have to deal with whatever the response is as a result. Uh, and obviously, it's taken you a while to get to this point. So now that, you know, you're being so outspoken and you're out front on this, what has the response been like for you? What what sort of uh, feedback have you been getting uh, over the last few months?
3: So when I first did the interview with Kurt Strader, uh last year for The Times, um I mean, I, I didn't sleep for like days before it was coming out. And, um, you know, I talked to, I have two sons. I had talked to them. I had talked to my brother. I told a handful of my close friends, which, you know, some of them already knew about this. And I said, hey, I, I'm I'm putting myself front and center on this. And if this is something you're not comfortable with, I 100% understand. And not only did I get 100% support um, from my family members and my close friends, I had people coming out of the woodwork. I, I was at a swim meet. Uh, I was at uh, an invitational watching my son, who's also a University of Arizona swimmer, and my phone rings. And, and this goes back to 1993. I was an intern at the television station in Tucson. A person that used to work there, who I know to be a very religious person, pops up on my phone. And I was like, this gotta be a butt dial. Like, why is, you know, so-and-so and and -and so-and-so calling me right now? I was like, hey, you know, this is Chrissy. And they're like, hey, this is so-and-so. And we had a really fantastic conversation. He was in support of my body autonomy. And I know that he absolutely would never want that for his own child to have to even make that decision. Maybe their lifestyle would be different. I, I've had, I, you know, I've stopped turning my social media off because I'm afraid of the pushback. I don't care. Like I'm 52 years old. I made the right decision for myself and I've spent the last 30 years being a really good human being. And that one choice that I made helped me graduate from college, helped me, you know, stay on the path to being an Olympian, which changed my life. So the I was waiting for this massive amount of pushback and I didn't get it. And on the flip, my phone didn't stop. I mean, I, th- that article came out in the summer and I was still getting phone calls in December. So, so I feel like I'm not pro-abortion. I'm pro-healthcare. And I think that there are a lot of people that feel the same way. They're pro healthcare. They would not want an abortion for themselves, but they're glad that I had that opportunity for that healthcare choice because it made a positive impact in my life.
0: Chrissy Parham won two gold medals and a silver at the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. She's also more, one of uh, more than 500 women who signed an amicus brief uh, in support of the constitutional right to abortion. Uh, Chrissy, thank you so much.
3: Thank you for having me, guys. I appreciate you spreading the word in support of healthcare.
0: Up next, Arch Manning to the University of Texas. Terms apply.
2: On Thursday afternoon, Arch Manning, grandson of Archie, nephew of Peyton and Eli, and the top high school football recruit in the 2023 class, ended years of speculation about his college choice with his very first tweet, committed to the University of Texas, hashtag hook Arch tweeted. And that was that. No follow-up statement, no elaborate announcement video, no so-called recruiting hat dance, Arch hasn't talked about it because he doesn't give interviews, but it's believed the horns won out over Georgia and Alabama, among others. The recruitment of Arch Manning has followed closely since his ninth grade year at one of Louisiana's elite secondary education institutions, Isidore Newman School. That year, he led the New Orleans area with 34 passing touchdowns in the regular season. And the hype is only built since then and will likely only get more intense as Arch readies to join one of the biggest brands in college football. Texas. So Josh, as a New Orleanian and, you know, a former Newman student, are you surprised Arch passed up the schools with family ties, Ole Miss and Tennessee, in last year's championship finalists for a notoriously <laughs> underperforming program?
0: Love it. Love that setup, Joel. Nailed it. <laughs> um, well, Tennessee obviously didn't have any family ties until Peyton went there. So I look forward to uh, having this discussion with you guys and about 25 years about whether, what, what's like, where does it go from Archie to Arch? R, R Manning? (laughs) Why, why did R Manning?
1: Archibald, gotta go full Archibald.
0: (laughs) Why did Archibald pass up Ole Miss, Tennessee and Texas? It's kind of seemed like it was leaning towards this direction, for a while, we knew he wasn't going to go to LSU, so don't even go there and act like this is a disappointment. Joel, if you're If you're going that it should later. be
2: disappointing. I mean, it's disappointing that you all weren't even really in the running, but that's fine. That's fine.
0: Thank you. Thank you for saying that it's fine. You know, I watched Peyton when I was in eighth grade. He was a senior, and I probably mentioned this before, but I was like, eh, I'm not sure this guy's any good. That was my That was my <laughs> scouting. Wow. <laughs> prow- <laughs> that was my scouting prowess as I guess for uh, 14 year old and and that was uh, proved wrong I was not Eli is, is my age but I had moved on to uh, Ben Franklin High School by then so I was not really involved in scouting or, or not scouting him um but I don't know man uh, Texas seems like a pretty good place to go to school I guess like I have a lot of friends who went there they seem to have a good time Austin's a cool city I would rather go there than go to Ole Miss and and Tennessee and and Alabama I guess Georgia would be fine um but the thing that I find really interesting about this, and we talked a little about this off the air, Joel, is that he is going to the school that had the number one high school recruit in the nation. Was that like last year, two years ago?
2: Yeah, two, well, I guess it would have been two years ago because he went to Ohio State, set out a year, and then yeah, now he'll be eligible for this next season. So, yeah, he was the number one recruit two years ago.
0: Yes, yeah, so that's Quinn Ewers. Um he went to Ohio State. He supposedly had like a seven figure NIL deal with Ohio State, never played there, and then transferred to Texas. And Stefan, the like thing I'm pre annoyed about with Arch, or maybe not pre annoyed, maybe I'm like post annoyed, is all the stuff that Joel was alluding to here of like, oh, he he's so old school and he didn't do the, you know, the recruit thing and he's just all business and all that. And so you have him just going to Texas, no fuss, no muss, whatever. And then you have this other guy, Quinn Ewers, who's like playing the NIL game and, like, shopping around. And so, like, maybe I'm, like, secretly rooting for Quinn Ewers now to beat him out just to complicate the narrative, although I have nothing against Arch, I must say.
1: Well, it's nice when your last name is Manning and you don't have to play the NIL game because maybe you don't really need the money and you don't have to worry about declining offers in 10th grade or going public because you're pretty good and you're going to get them and you don't have to worry about waiting too long to accept an offer and being shut out um you know in the musical chairs game of recruiting because your last name is Manning and because you're that good so it must be nice being you know being arch um and, and the, the thing that i am still sort of and we talked about this a little bit i don't know when it was last year or months ago um the the creation of the the narrative around a high school athlete with a prominent last name like Manning. Um, The stories about how he babysits and he only eats peanut butter and he doesn't do social media and he's a sweet young man. I mean, how much of that, Josh, knowing the family is, and I don't mean personally, but knowing the family as a New Orleanian, how much of that is, you feel, like, necessary to sort of tamp down the craziness versus just trying to sort of perpetuate this image of the Mannings as super clean cut and wholesome.
0: I don't know. I mean, that's kind of a fraught question. Like, I, you can't say that there's been nothing bad ever said about any of the Mannings because there are the accusations against mm-hmm. Peyton by um, a masseuse which he vehemently denied and doesn't seem to have, stuck with them at at all. Um, So I I think part of it is like brand and image maintenance. Although I will say that like when I went to Newman, like not just external people, like internal people, it was like, Peyton is like the nicest guy. He's like, gives time to everyone and everybody uh, around that school and in that town, like loves that family. And I don't think it's just because they're good at at PR and brand management, I'm, I'm sure that's part of it. But I'm sure, like, he's a nice kid yeah. and like has not done anything to like wrong anyone at this stage. Like, I I don't have any reason to doubt that. But there is still something, Joel, that's like, especially for you with him going to to Texas, this sort of like confluence of the Texas myth and the Manning myth together. That's going to be really difficult for you. And I just have to say <laughs> to <that> Stefan. <laughs> And I are going to be here for you when Texas is clearly back. Like, it's not, we can't, we can't fight it. We can't mm-hmm, argue with mm-hmm. it. They've, you know, we should print the shirts at this point. Um, you know, three Heismans. He's going to get more Heismans oh, yeah. than Ron Paulus did. He's got Ron Paulus. So um, that's what I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just like, yeah, we're here to help you process
2: it. Yeah. Just, this takes me back to 1999 when, which would have been my junior. <laughs> All scene.
0: right. Let's, let's go back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Back,
2: 1999. <laughs> And Texas signs the highly touted son of a former NFL quarterback, you know, NFL great Phil Sims and his son Chris Sims signs. And, it's you know, oh, wow, Chris Sims, Mac Brown, Texas is going to clearly uh, pull away from the rest of the field and they're going to dominate. And look, Chris Sims was a very good college quarterback Uh, at that point. That was some of the most success the University of Texas had ever had Um, with Chris Sims as quarterback. But it just sort of reminds me of the same thing that, you know, it's it seems like it's going to be this perfect marriage. But the thing that I think about is that so Arch is going to go to the University of Texas. Steve Sarkeesian is going to be coaching for his job. It'll probably be one of maybe the first, second year in the SEC. Um, That's a lot of pressure. And I mean, look, Arch Manning has lived his life with that last name. So he's learned to play and thrive with a lot of pressure on him. Like, obviously, like, that, it hasn't affected him to this point. But, like, that is another level of pressure. And I don't think that Chris Sims... I think Chris Sims would tell you that it was really difficult uh, to go through that. And I've heard interviews with him over the years that, you know, it wasn't the easiest. And for Arch Manning to sort of thrust himself into that crucible, man, that's something. But another way of looking at it is that no matter where he went, Right. That name was going to follow him, no matter where he played. If he played at Alabama, if he played at Georgia, if he played at LSU, uh, which he never would because he never considered them. But you know, it was it it was going to be difficult. But Texas is a whole other thing, and their fans have outsized expectations, especially relative to the success that they, the success that they've had um, since desegregation. So. I don't know, man. I, you know, <laughs> I wish him well. I don't. I don't hold any ill will. I always say that Peyton Manning is the best quarterback I've ever seen in my life. Um, so it's not like you know I've got anything against the Mannings in particular. But I just wonder, um, you know, how this is going to play out at the end of the day because it's it's an awful lot of pressure for one guy. Um, he's got the 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 hopes of the people that that believe that the Mannings are always predestined to be dominant, and people that expect the University of Texas to be dominant in spite of the evidence. So, um, I wish him well, except when he plays against TCU. Well, wait—they were five and seven last year. They've been
1: terrible. What they lost six games in a row last year. They lost to Kansas in Austin. The the embarrassing. Got a couple of years though before there is any quote unquote pressure on Arch Manning. I mean, it's conceivable, right? That seriously, Stefan?
0: have you followed college football? I follow college before?
1: football. I mean, <laughs> not, he's not playing. I mean, he's not playing this fall. Could they redshirt him and play yours the?
0: I guess that's true. He is still in high school. He is so. still in <laughs> high
1: school. It's, he will not be responsible for whatever happens this next season.
0: He is going into a senior year in high school. We should note that. Yeah, Ewers will have the job for to himself this year,
2: assuming that he beats out Hudson Card or, um, you know, a couple other guys in their quarterback room. So you know, he'll he'll have a year to make his claim before Arch gets there.
0: So Joel, just like kind of running through the alternate universe scenarios here, it does seem like he's maybe chosen one of the more difficult. Mm-hmm. Paths from an on-field and off-field perspective. You have this school that's um, been, hasn't had a good on-field product in kind of a a decade, Mm -hmm. uh, 12 years, um, but has massive, massive expectations, massive money attached to the program, massive fan base, and so he'll come in and be expected to immediately turn around the fortunes of that program. Um, You have a school that is going into the SEC, so there'll be more expectations mm-hmm. with that yep. and the most difficult possible schedule that you can play. Although with this new like SEC kind of pod system that hasn't even been created yet, they might not play Alabama. Who knows? They they might not play Georgia. They certainly won't play them every year. So we don't know what the actual schedule is, but you've got this huge. I mean, ESPN must be excited. They've, they've got the SEC away from CBS, I think, in time for for Arch to make his debut. So it's just going to be a massive spectacle, massively difficult schedule. And then you have our guy, Quinn Ewers, who's going to be in there and um, staking a claim to the, to the job. And so he'll come in and it'll be considered disappointing if he doesn't beat him out. Um, but he's kind of taking all of this upon himself um, and making a choice that this is the environment that he wants to be in, although probably not any more pressure, just a different kind of pressure than there would be at Alabama and Georgia. Rachel, right,
1: Is there any universe in which the Manning family would have allowed or Arch Manning would have chosen to go to, I don't know, a school in the North or in the West? Or is that just not conceivable?
0: I don't know about allowed. I mean, I, uh, there's not any indication that they told him.
2: Yeah, maybe wrong word.
0: What to do yeah. or where or, or where yeah, I mean, to go? I mean, he allegedly
2: considered Virginia seriously. Um, whatever you make of that, right? Um, I don't know how.
1: I'm thinking more like you know, Penn State or Michigan or Ohio State or USC or Oregon. Or... Come on, man. Well, come this on is my players. question. Do you ask, come on, man? Yeah, I mean, football, the, I mean, insane he'd... people. <laughs> you know.
0: Well, it seems like pre- it seems like kind of concentration of preppies was like a huge factor. For him, if like Virginia and Texas were <laughs> high up on the list,
2: yeah, I mean, there's a certain kind of school that he clearly was uh, aiming for. You know, the big state school that has this sort of, you know, this the, the mythology of southern gentility around it, right? Which is it's totally I mean, if, if keeping... Wake
0: Forest was on the list, then I think we really would have uh, <laughs> <laughs> known what was up. But right. Um, right. No, Virginia definitely would have been a choice. Yeah, it would have been a choice. I mean, I just,
2: you know, I guess the thing that um, I I think about is that he must know something about Texas and Quinn Ewers that a lot of other people don't know. Um, So I don't know what the Texas coaches are saying to him about Quinn Ewers, about how good he is or what his hold on that starting job is. Um, I don't know what they've told him about, you know, what – Sort of supporting cast, and obviously some of the some of the supporting cast is going to take care of itself because there will be presumably high school wide receivers all around the country that will want to catch passes from Arch Manning, but mm-hmm. they're not on campus yet. Um, and so, you know, he'll have to that are in like tenth grade or ninth up. grade. They're in tenth or ninth grade right, right now. Yeah, I'm, but my thing is is that so you know that already Texas goes into SEC. It's sort of a competitive disadvantage you know, you, they're not gonna, there's not going to be Kansas State or Kansas. And you lost to Kansas, by the way. But there's not going to be Kansas State, Kansas. Um, Oklahoma State has its moments, but it's still Oklahoma State. I mean, they're fundamentally recruiting three-star athletes. Uh, you're you're going to have to go up against the Ole Misses. Um, you're not going to lose Oklahoma. You lost, I mean, Arkansas beat your ass last year. You're going to to play them almost every year, and they're a rivalry for you. So um, he's going there at possibly the least optimal time. There's a lot of obstacles in his way that would not be there if he was, like, three years younger. So, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what he's going to do. But, I mean, clearly Steve Sarkeesian, what a sales job, right? Like, I mean, that it does say something to, about what Steve Sarkeesian has done in terms of elevating the Texas brand among other recruits because, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no reason for Texas to have been in this, right?
1: But isn't, isn't, the, isn't the pitch of come and make us great again... You know that challenge alluring yeah. to athletes at this caliber
2: of this I, caliber that, is is that true anymore in college football? I don't, know. don't most of them usually just squat up at Alabama and Georgia and
0: and the mannings are everybody different, Joel. Often? yeah That's well, yeah, the mannings are different because they didn't win a national championship. I mean, I guess Peyton and Tennessee could have, and they did win a national title the year after Payton left. Uh, Hats off to T. Martin. But, um, you know, Eli, they did win the uh, 2003 SEC West Co-Championship. There is a banner. So congratulations to them for that.
2: Not a small deal at Ole Miss, though. I mean, I I think uh, that's one of the better seasons they've had, again, post-desegregation. So, I mean,
1: it does count.
0: post-desegregation.
1: And Peyton did, in 95... Tennessee finished third in the country. They beat Ohio State in the Citrus Bowl in 97. They won the SEC and then lost in the Orange Bowl.
2: Again, t- we're yeah. talking about a different time, though. Like Tennessee was a national, a national program, Correct. and Peyton Manning, again, is one of the best quarterbacks anybody has ever seen. Um, I mean, that's, that's an awful lot for Arch Manning to live up to. Like you could, He could be Chris Sims, and it still feel like a disappointment. You know, he could still be an NFL caliber quarterback and it still feel like a disappointment if he doesn't do what people expect him to do, which is I mean, he's a number one re- quarterback recruit in this class. Like there are expectations placed on those guys. There's, you know, the, the Matt Stafford's and the Jameis Winston's and the Vince Young's among that group. Um, you know, if he ends up just being Philip Sims or, <laughs> you know, Kyle uh,
0: Wright, Red Bomar.
2: Kyle Wright, you know, uh, Rhett Bomar, then yeah, that's it's not going to go so well. People are not going to feel quite the same way
0: about him. I guess, so, so, last thing for me, I remembered kind of looking at Peyton's record at Tennessee and obviously the, the huge deal, the big story of his college career at the time was that he came back for his senior season when he would have been the top pick or one of the top picks in the NFL draft and it was touted at the time as, oh, what a great young man. Like, th- that was part of the Manning myth-building, um, where they're kind of used as a cudgel against other athletes. And so just take away whatever, y- y- however you feel about them. But that's the thing that I'm kind of worried about, or if not worried, then annoyed about, is that you have this guy who, honestly, maybe there's less pressure on him than anyone, because like his life is going to be fine no matter what. Um, He doesn't need the NIL money. He can go wherever he wants and thinks is the best fit, or maybe just the best college town where he Mm -hmm. thinks he'll have the most fun. I mean, he's obviously somebody who cares about being successful um, as a football player, and I'm sure will put a lot of pressure on himself. But we need to remember that the decisions he makes, the moves he makes are in an entirely different universe and context than almost anyone else in college sports, anyone who would make a decision to transfer, anyone who would make a decision based on, you know, all of the real life factors that um, they need to be considered. So let's just try to remember that for the next however many years. Up next, the segment on Ohio State. This week's bonus segment for Slate Plus members, we're gonna talk about the US track and field championships. A lot of really interesting stuff happened, and we have our man, Joel Anderson, track expert, America's fastest 10-year-old. He'll be there to help us sort through all of it, but only if you're a Slate Plus member. If you are a member, you get these bonus segments, you get no ads on any Slate podcast, and you get the uh, good feelings that come with knowing you're supporting our show. To sign up, go to slate.com slash hangup plus. That's slate.com slash up plus.
2: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check.
1: In a victory for snark and eye-rolling, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office last week granted Ohio State University a trademark on the word the, or as obnoxious Buckeyes would pronounce it, the, as in the Ohio State University. That's the school's official name, and as anyone who watches NFL games is aware, it's the way players from the school in Columbus Introduce themselves in lineup announcements. Joel, the ruling gives OSU the right to use the on branded hats and t shirts, and presumably to go after other schools that might attempt to co opt the for branding purposes. If they can't argue, as OSU can, that the is central to its name, we can get into some of the legal and financial considerations. But first, as a matter of annoying slash obnoxious fan base conceits, where does the
2: the rank for you? Well, you know, it didn't used to bother me, right? Um, And it's not quite as annoying or self-aggrandizing as like best fans in baseball or we're Texas or uh, anything that Duke has done that we'll discuss later, but it, it's up there. And like I said, I, at first I thought it was funny, right? Like not, not charming, but it felt like Ohio State was in on the joke, like, ha ha, get it? The Ohio State. Um, but then over the years, you know, like everything else, uh, it became sort of grating. And now that someone has figured out that they can make a few bucks off of this, it's just turned into something else entirely. And you can kind of understand why a lot of Big Ten and Midwestern sports fans end up hating Ohio State fans um, because this is just, you know, (laughs) look, I understand that you have to sort of protect, um, you know, your branding in the market, um, that there are reasons to do this, but it's just really obnoxious. And I mean, I guess you know we'll we'll see how obnoxious it is when you know we're walking through an airport, you know, three years from now, and somebody has on the scarlet and you know the gray V shirt coming through, and then we'll see how how uh, then we'll find out how annoying it really, really is. But um, it's it's not top three, but it's you know it's 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 a, it's a finalist. You know, it's 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 others receiving votes, don't you think, Josh? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what are the ones that are not annoying? The U? Is the U not annoying? Oh, I love
2: the U. See, the U is great. I don't know what that is. I, maybe they're just a little more...
0: Yeah, why is the U great? We need to we need to come up with why we like what we like in order to explain why we don't like what we don't like.
2: Fair point. I, you know, I... you know, uh,
0: Is it just because the players saying it are cooler? Think,
2: yeah, I think the players are cooler. You know, I don't know. I mean, like, what's the difference between Robert Smith and Clinton Portis? So you think, uh, you know... <laughs> <laughs> but it's
1: also when it when they emerged, I think I mean both seem to have um come around in the eighties and nineties at least the the V seems to be nineteen ninety four ish in terms of when it broke through into something that alumni of the school would say. Robert Smith, the former Vikings running back, um says that he was the creator of it, but the U was earlier, and you know that was a time when Miami was. Pretty fucking good team, right? Like they were cool. So the U didn't sound quite as contrived as the
0: Yeah, I mean I, I, I think the distinction is that the U is um has kind of an air of defiance to it. And it was right. an outlaw program and it was a program on the come up. And so they're like, We're from the U, like, um, and you're gonna have to deal with that and you're gonna have to deal with us. Whereas the Ohio State University, there's something kind of snooty about it, and also like we know what Ohio. We know what Ohio State is. Like you've always been there. Um, you don't need uh, it. It feels kind of like um, staking a claim that doesn't need to be staked, kind of for no purpose. Like like the whole thing just feels superfluous um, and and stupid. But for me, it it's harmless and funny. Whereas I, I think the gold standard. Of badness, of of badness and uh, being annoying in this larger category, is we are oh, the Penn State I thing that... um, for for multiple reasons. Number one, which I didn't realize until looking this up, there is this kind of claim and lore in the program that we are Penn State, and I'm reading from the true origin of we are Penn State. This article that um, the idea was that it emerged from the 1947-48 football team who admirably stole, stood up to racial prejudice. The idea was that they had a black player, they weren't going to be allowed to, to play with the full team, and a player stood up and said, we are Penn State in an act of, of racial solidarity. Apparently totally made up. That never happened. No record of anything to do with that ever happening that the real story is that like cheerleaders just started saying it in the 70s and 80s. And then it became this kind of catchphrase in the Mm -hmm. pro-Paterno movement, where when Paterno um, was getting ousted in the early 2010s, that fans were chanting it outside of his home and Paterno was finishing the We Are chant. Um, and, And so that, compared to like that, then who cares about the, like there's nothing sort of menacing or it's, it's just kind of mm-hmm. corny. Um, and I can understand if you are a fan of that program, like thinking that it was a fun thing and sort of embracing the corniness and, and stupidity of it. Like it, it feels very kind of college sports to me in that way, Stefan.
1: Yeah. And, and the way that, that NFL players have embraced it, um, also sort of falls into that category. It doesn't feel super serious. It doesn't feel like anyone's going to, like, get into a fight over the on the field because you said the and you said the you. <laughs> um, and it's become almost uh, a joke. And we can play some clips of NFL players announcing their schools during Monday Night Football lineup introductions to sort of bring that point home. I went through um, a long YouTube collection of every NFL player Introduction from every team from, I think, a couple of years ago, maybe three or four years ago, put together by someone called Highlight Fame. Let's just listen to a few iterations of NFL players saying both the Ohio State University and other university names and other ways to introduce
2: themselves. Kelvin Benjamin, deep Florida State. Ted Gann Jr., the Ohio State University. Greg Olson, the U.
1: So there you go. That was pretty good right there. You know, we got a little sampling of everybody. Here's one with some great variety.
2: Brandon Graham, Crockett Tech. Fletcher Cox, Yazoo City High School. Timmy Jerniger, Columbia High School. Derek Barnett, Tennessee. Nathan Gary, Blackshirt. Nigel Bradham, the Florida State University. TJ Edwards, Wisconsin. Jalen Mills, LSU. Malcolm
1: Jenkins, the Ohio State University. Rodney McLeod, the University of Virginia. Avante Maddox. And finally... This might be my favorite.
2: Brandon Williams, Stanton Elementary. Michael Pierce, Samford University. Matthew Judon, Body Built by
0: Taco Bell. John. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> creativity, creativity. Do we think that it's like pathetic when people do the Florida State or the University of Virginia? You, you categorize that as trolling, Stefan, or do we think it's just like kind of pathetic imitation?
1: Oh, no, I think it's trolling. Yeah. I think it's making fun of the Ohio State. I think so players. too.
2: Yeah, yeah I totally. I mean, everybody knows that this, again, it started off as a joke, right? Like, I don't, I don't think anybody thought that this was like a really, Ohio State was making a really serious claim here, and it only sort of you're hardened into that over the recent years.
1: You don't think they were saying that we are the best university in the state of Ohio, and when the university's name was changed in 1878 to indicate that? we want to support that decision.
0: There's, I guess, a couple ways in which this functions. There's, like, the whole DBU thing, where LSU claims that it's DBU, has the best defensive backs, and then, like, other schools also claim that they're DBU. And so it becomes this, like, dumb sort of game within a game about who's really Mm -hmm. DBU. And then there's stuff, Joel, that's, like, a fan base kind of uses amongst itself as, like, a kind of secret word, like if you pat, this would literally happen, but it's like if you pass somebody on the street and you're like, give them like a, a look or like a secret handshake or something, just like a, a kind of fun thing that people share with each other. And I think what's happened with the Ohio State is that it's gotten outside of the fan base. It's gone from being this joke to something that like they're trademarking and putting on t-shirts and it's starting to get to the point where it's taking itself way more seriously than it ever should have been taken. Um, and, you know, I did appreciate, Stefan, the research that you shared about how the biggest trademark troll and trademark enforcer in all of college. Who is that, Joel?
2: It's Duke University, man. Would, you know Josh's favorite school. Um, <laughs> and apparently, in addition to being, you know, I mean, I guess the cop's, <laughs> the, the trademark <laughs> cops, the the top trademark cops, in college sports, um, they have a habit of making wildly outrageous claims, uh, you know, relative to relative to the to the actual claim. So, according to the, some of the research here that Stefan provided for us. Duke filed twice as many claims as the top 10 athletic revenue schools combined, and four times as many claims as the rest of the top 10 basketball revenue schools. There are 193 registered marks that include the word Duke that have nothing to do with Duke University. But somehow, Duke seems to think of itself as the only Duke um, worth branding. I
0: mean, I guess... It's, it's not even ex- that they opposed they opposed pretty devil for electronic slot machines blue ball chiller for al- alcoholic beverages and get your blue on for charitable fundraising. So whenever you say that you know we live in blue america or blue states you you're stepping on duke. How dare you?
1: All of this all of this research is uh, from a paper titled Mark of the Devil: <laughs> The University as Brand Bully by James Boyle and Jennifer Jenkins. Who it should be noted are professors at Duke Law School. Um, they wrote that Duke's level of aggression, both in number of claims and the extremity of mm. its legal arguments, is remarkable.
0: Uh, yeah, the there is something kind of Duke about this, and I wonder if that gives Ohio State fans any pause, like the kind of pretension and like claim to some sort of moral higher ground that actually by staking the claim, you are like digging yourself into a lower moral higher ground. But I mean, in fairness, uh, some of the other stuff that was in this paper, Stefan is like Boise state playing on a blue field and trying Uh to trademark playing on any non green field. That was a pretty amazing, Uh amazing flex. Um, You know, what is what Texas having a registration on the Longhorn Hand symbol, which also means I love you in American sign language. Texas A&M trademarked the 12th man
1: in 2016. It tried feels to more legit, stop somebody. Does that feel more yeah, legit? because I've, that I've been hearing that three-peat? my whole life.
2: I mean, maybe as a yeah. Texan. And, I, you know, it was weird when the Seattle Seahawks started doing the, the 12th man thing. And they actually have had a legal battle over that. Um but I was just like, I just thought that was totally a Texas A&M thing. So that makes a little bit more sense. Okay, the,
1: the, then what about Texas A&M going after a guy who wanted to produce a beer called 12th Cam? I mean,
2: they, I mean why
1: are they hating <laughs> I on mean, capitalism? this is where the lawyers get involved. Yeah. <laughs> and this is why <laughs> lawyers got involved in uh, the Ohio State trademarking the. It was because another company, a fashion, the fashion designer Mark Jacobs, had trademarked the first. They reached a settlement— um, and then after redoing their trademark application, it was approved so Ohio State and Mark Jacobs can both make t-shirts that say the on them. Um, those, that, that one of those lawyers at Duke, James Boyle, was quoted by the Chronicle of Higher Education saying this is a very stupid decision, but the more concerning thing is that it is a trend and you know so we'll see more universities doing stupid shit like this to try to make money. I mean the, the point here is that, You know, that um, Ohio State generates like $12.5 million a year from licensing and selling shit. Um, And this is just a way to make some more coin.
0: So, Joel, you shared uh, on Twitter recently that you got a lot of TCU t-shirts from Home Field Apparel, Mm -hmm. um, which made me think. The TCU. That's lame. Like, don't even. You're you're debasing yourself by saying that. We've yeah. got to come up with something for the TCU football program that can be that kind of slogan and phrase. Like our hand sign. Nobody right. can
2: see me doing this right now because I'm just doing it on Zoom. Yeah,
0: tell the people. Tell tell the people what you're doing. It looks like you're making air quotes. Yeah, but right. It that, does
2: kind of look like a quote. But that is our hand sign. It's like an air quote type thing. But that is the hand sign. I did not know until I'd uh, actually graduated from college. I know that we do it at football games or whatever. But once I was driving on the highway and somebody saw my TCU bumper sticker and started doing the hand sign at me and I was like, what the hell? I thought something was wrong with so my car. So is it supposed to be like the horn. Yeah, like a horn frog. Yeah. You get it? See?
0: Yeah. Okay, so we should probably come up with something better than that. So wow. what, what are some options for TCU, uh, You're You're the word guy here. Some options for t c u there are a lot of t c u how many two
1: letter words are there in Scrabble one hundred and seven in north america
0: all right so if Ohio state's wow. laying claim to three letter words we got to get mm-hmm. We got to get down to to two letter words what's your what are your what are your top three two letter words hmm my top my favorites are z a q i hmm. and yeah maybe x u a
1: a is good so if i were a- What's a- that school in California that is um, the the mascot is the is the aardvark? Bakersfield, it's one of those baseball schools. Oh, I was thinking the
2: banana slug. Are you think Are you thinking of aardvark instead of a banana slug, which is I believe the no, no, no. Santa I think Cruz some school
1: is an aardvark? Really? Yeah. Um, All
2: right, so let's A-A look this up. Real there. time. Real yeah. time. I mean, AA means lava. It's not a aardvark. I always assume Alcoholics Anonymous, right?
0: Looks like the aardvarks are only uh, Ames Community College and Pike's Peak Community College. Well,
2: Maybe I'm thinking of the banana slug. Uh, I thought you were thinking yeah. of the banana slug. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think TCU needs anything to distinguish itself. You know, once upon a time when I was in school, uh, you know, the the, the horn frog was the it was the only mascot uh, in the Trivial Pursuit game. I don't know if kids still play Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> But that was one of its claims Ohio State to fame. has
0: the TCU has only mascot in Trivial Pursuit, a game that most people don't even remember still exists. Uh, um, well, if you don't, don't think you need anything, then we then we can't help you, Joel. No, I'm sorry. When you,
1: when you which horned which horned frog is it? Um, there's the Asian horned frog, the rough horned frog, and the South American horned frog.
2: Oh, I didn't know that there well, were you know? that many different right. kinds of horned frogs. Yeah,
0: false choice. Is, All it, of the, them. is it the Texas
1: horn? Is it the <laughs> Texas horned lizard?
2: I think it's a Texas horned lizard. That's that the one that shoots uh, like a red liquid from its eyes. It appears to be blood, but it's <laughs> not actually blood. And it's endangered. It's an endangered species. It's no no longer.
0: You know what we say at TCU, Stefan, When you ask which horned frog it is, fuck around and find out. <laughs>
1: and there we go maybe fuck around and find out should be the TCU trademark I may have misspoken in that last segment. I asked Joel which horned frog, Asian, rough, or South American, the TCU horned frog is. It's not a horned frog at all. Actually, the horned frog is the Texas horned lizard. It's the state reptile of Texas. I'm just going to read a little bit. I'm going to read some sentences from the wiki about the Texas horned lizard the horned lizard is popularly called a horned toad or horned frog, but it is neither a toad nor a frog. Despite the fierce appearance, Texas horned lizards are extremely docile creatures. Mm. The Texas horned lizard is a sunbather and requires mm. bright sunlight to produce vitamin D. Their daily movement is averaged at 50 meters. Huh. They're not
2: movers. That's a Although lot they- for a lizard. I mean, you know, hey, you man. You think? Well, yeah. actually, I don't know. I, it, it says maybe they, not. they
1: prefer to move very little, but horned lizards can move quite fast if they feel a predator is in the area.
0: Love Joel, just Joel caping for the lizard.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying just, to support him. He's endangered, okay? God, Docility, yeah.
0: docility is an important important quality. It's it's like when you uh, talking about school mascots. It's usually not selected for maximal docility. <laughs>
1: About 70% of the Texas horned lizard's diet is made up of harvester ants, though they supplement these with termites, beetles, and grasshoppers. Whew, that is quite a terrifying animal if it can really kill those harvester ants
2: that um, good for the, that's, that's good for the uh the environment i would i would argue but good <laughs> the environment yeah, yeah what are termites doing for you yeah. the
1: texas horned lizard has disappeared from almost half of its geographic range population mm-hmm. declines are attributed to the loss of habitat human eradication of the ant populations upon which the lizards prey displacement of native ant populations by invading fire ants maybe this explains why tcu isn't
2: very good at sports what? what are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, the baseball
0: team almost made the College World Series recently. They... It's only it's only going to get worse under Sunny Dykes.
2: Well, I mean that. I mean, we can talk about that another time, but uh, I'm not. I'm not optimistic.
1: Josh, what's your Texas horned lizard?
0: So, after our interview with Chrissy Param at the top of the show, I wanted to look into um, the history of women athletes and abortion. And came upon a really famous story that I was not aware of, which is that in 1972, Ms. Magazine published its first ever standalone issue. And inside that magazine, running across the top of two full pages were the words, we have had abortions. The text below that reads in part, to save lives and to spare other women, the pain of socially imposed guilt 53 respected women residents in the United States have volunteered to begin the American Women's Petition. Our purpose is not to alienate or to ask for sympathy, but to repeal archaic and inhuman laws. So this was the 1972 equivalent of the amicus brief signed by Chrissy and more than 500 women athletes. And so in this uh, Ms. Magazine, the first standalone issue, there's three columns of names, the names included Susan Sontag, Gloria Steinem, the singer Judy Collins, and, for people who've heard the first episode of the latest season of Slow Burn, Shirley Ann Wheeler. But the most prominent name on that list at the time uh, was probably Billie Jean King. At that point, Billie Jean was at the height of her powers on the court. She won almost 20 tournaments in 1971. She'd also worked with other women just around that time to form their own pro circuit. And she became the first woman athlete to make more than $100,000 in prize money. But as she explained in her autobiography, All In, which came out last year, she also got pregnant in 1971. It was unexpected. She learned that she was pregnant when she nearly threw up on the court. She was in her later 20s. At that point, her marriage to her husband, Larry, was shaky. And as she wrote, she couldn't imagine bringing up a child in such chaos. This was before Roe, but in California where she lived, abortion was legal so long as you could convince a medical committee that the procedure was necessary. So she said, explaining to a panel of 10 or 15 strangers why I qualified for an abortion was probably the most degrading thing I've ever experienced. She did get approved. The procedure cost $580. That's nearly $4,200 today. And she could only go ahead with it after her husband signed a consent form. King supported the pro-choice movement wholeheartedly, but it was her husband who signed that petition on her behalf and mailed it back without telling her. In 1972, her abortion wasn't public. She hadn't even told her parents. And so it was this article, this, you know, two-page thing in Ms. Magazine that revealed to the world that Billie Jean King had had an abortion. When the petition got published, a Washington Post reporter asked her about it. Her answer was quite simple, straightforward. Women should have a choice, that's all, like having a career or being a housewife. The choice is there for you. I feel strongly about it. She also said, if every woman who had an abortion would come out and say so, then it wouldn't be such a social stigma. King got tons of hate mail. Her brother, who was a pitcher for the San Francisco Giants, even got letters himself. They called his sister, Billie Jean, a baby killer. In her autobiography, she says the worst moment in all of this was uh, a 60 Minutes profile where Morley Safer asked her about the abortion. That wasn't the worst part. It was watching that segment with her mother, who Billie Jean hadn't been able to talk to about her choice. With the tv on her mother said that she had cried for three days when she'd found out about billy jean's abortion and she asked her don't you love children 50 years later in an opinion piece for the washington post this came out just at the tail end of last year billy jean king wrote if we lose the ability to control our bodies and our futures so many of the gains women have made will be undone in that piece she also shared a memory from the day of her procedure when she tried to comfort a 15 year old girl she met in the waiting room. She wrote, I tried to comfort this terrified girl from Alabama where abortion was illegal. She was pretty far along. It had taken her months to get to California where she was staying with a relative who made the appointment for her. I never saw her again, but I hope that she was able to finish school, earn a good living and have children if she so chose. All things that generations have been able to take for granted in the nearly 50 years since Roe became settled law. Since she published that piece, Roe got overturned, and that scene that she describes in the waiting room, that's gonna start happening all over the country to lots and lots of women in the days, weeks, and months to come. It's
2: really grim, Um, but I guess that's where we are right now. First of all, Debbie I mean, Jash, that was great. Uh, thanks for, for for telling that. But have you all seen those lists of uh, companies that are like said that they will pay, you know, for their employees to go to a state that you know still permits abortions? And I, I you, you tell me, I haven't seen. Have there been any professional sports teams or professional sports organizations that have there been any of the, on any of those lists?
0: I have not seen that. I've seen um, sports leagues and teams come out with statements saying that they oppose. Yeah the decision, Um, but no, not that specifically.
1: Yeah, and that's a a pretty incredible artifact that you dug up, Josh, the Ms. Magazine issue um, and story about Billie Jean King. I was completely unaware of of, of that story, so thank you for unearthing it
2: and uh, and sharing it. There'll be a link on the the show page, right?
0: Yeah, we'll put a a link to all the stuff into her opinion piece for the Washington Post, and she has shared this story um, a bunch in recent years. And like I said, it is in her autobiography, All In. That is our show for today. Our producer is Kevin Bendis. listen to past shows and subscribe or just reach out, go to slate.com slash hangup. You can email us at slate.com And don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. For Joel Anderson and Stefan Fatsis, I'm Josh Levine. Remember Zelmo Beatty, and thanks for listening.